0: And guess what? We have solved finance, and we are back. Mm-hmm. Since this podcast has come out, great, and I really—I've got some great news. I don't want to say that we have, you know, brought back the bull market that we've experienced, but I will say that since we started recording, the market, the S and P 500, is up 14.52 percent.
1: Dang! yep, it's us, it's definitely us. I have to say, it is probably us. It it's the only thing that makes like that. sense. It's the only thing that makes
0: sense. <laughs> oh man, but it just makes me feel so giddy inside to know that we're helping people, but more importantly, we're increasing returns by bumping up the stock market. We're helping. And not only have yeah. we improved the stock market, while Fed rate hikes have continuously come again and again.
1: It's just, things are going up. Is this where we play back for all of our listeners, that um free episode disclosure from episode one, where they owe us 20% of all capital gains for listening to the pod?
0: That is not a real thing for everyone <laughs> listening, including any of That is joke. That does not count.
1: Uh, man, Thank that would be nice, so though. What if we did that? That would be great. That'd be a great time. People unknowingly accept a contract just by listening. That'd be awesome. Go claw back their accounts.
0: Yeah, like freaking my first million. They're like, "Oh, you signed a contract by listening to us. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel." Exactly. It's exactly. like that's that's a good thing, but that's just more verbal manipulation than it is anything
1: else. <laughs> you had the chance to opt out by pressing pause. I'm sorry. I don't. Gotta- <laughs> us oh, money.
0: <laughs> oh man. But I'm just I'm in good mood. You know, markets are doing well. Uh we've officially entered bull market. I think you yeah. saw this because we've gone up over twenty percent since October twenty twenty two lows, which just math. That means we're in a bull market. Good for us. But huge things on the week um coming up such as we've got CPI data coming out. We've got the Fed meeting on Wednesday, which is probably what, you know, we can talk about a good amount. There's PPI inflation data that comes out on Wednesday. There's retail sales data that comes out on Thursday. Hopefully that shows that people are spending or buying a lot less. And then, what else? Oh, yeah, on Thursday, the initial jobless claims um, data also comes out. So. Of course, you know, bunch of data points, nothing really says, oh, this is what's going to happen with the economy or not, but my guess is we've been on a heater for the last two, three weeks. It's going to pull back the market slightly, but then hopefully we can continue to climb. Hmm. What are your thoughts? I have no idea, but I like to, I do like
1: where we're at. Yeah. Um She's after getting beat yeah. up the entire year, you know? It feels good to be like, ah, oh, it does turn green. Look at that.
0: Yeah. Like, uh all the negative emotions and things that were happening last October and people were just so sad. And now we're, you know sitting happy after tumultuous, very roller coaster, you know eight months, nine months, whatever it is.
1: And here we are. The of the world probably didn't care, but being professional investment managers, it's a very hard time when things are red all the time. You take it harder than anybody else. You're very much yeah. down in the dumps. You're just like, man, you don't win it. There's no winning.
0: Yeah. So that actually brings us to the point of today's call, which we're going to just elaborate and extend on our Q&A sessions because those have gotten tons of great positive feedback. But for the Q&A sessions, specifically for today, uh, we've got a ton of good responses, questions, things thrown our way. If you still want to send stuff, please text 737-210-3054. Shoot us any type of question. Um, All inappropriate questions definitely won't be answered, but we will laugh at them. So those are appreciated, too. Uh, thank you so much for those. Anyway, um, I know, Braden you've got this pulled up on your ear, and I'll pull it up on my end. But, um, I really like the question we got. That okay, I'm gonna combine this with another question that I've seen similarly too, where uh, the listener, the unnamed listener, basically sent in, What should I look for when hiring a financial advisor? Mm-hmm. And This ties into a question that I've been seeing repeatedly on Twitter, specifically where it's, hey, I'm a financial advisor, and I don't look at the market or companies or stocks daily. Like, I'm just not trying to familiarize myself with that too much. And I just stick to the long-term plan, and I talk to clients, and I spend the rest of my day, I don't know. Doing nothing, marketing or playing golf, or I have no idea. And I really have a super opinion about that. But tie that all in together, answering, you know, that first question and then the extended part A of that first question. What should I look for to financial advisor? How would you answer that?
1: Oh man, there's so many things. Um, oh. <laughs> uh what i will say first and foremost is i would not judge a financial advisor based on how nice their clothes are or how nice the watch they have on or how nice their car is yeah what if i have a g-wagon and i pull up to your house in a g-wagon that um it's almost the opposite i almost would say (laughs) should not hire that person specifically because of that um you know, I think oftentimes people's first reaction because they made a bunch of money is they say, okay, I'm going to hire a financial advisor who clearly hear them. Um, but what you get into is the exact kind of advisor you just talked about, which is, you know, there's, there's an element to being a financial advisor where your entire job is to take commission based products, push them on to all of your clients. And then rather than spending time uh, familiarizing yourself, like you said, um, with with the market and, and what's happening in the world of money, uh you just go golf and acquire more clients, right? Um yeah. there are plenty of financial advisors out there who will have you sign up for an account with them. They will not look at that account for an entire year. A year later they will come and look and see what happened and they will make up some story about why it went that way. Go to doorhead. Um and and you continue to just trust them while they're out marketing and getting more clients. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta be super practical and find the financial advisor who truly believes that the best way to get new work is to focus on the work in front of you. Um, so maybe you ask, right? Uh, always ask, I think always ask to have a conversation with other clients. Um, people always use Yelp reviews. People always use Google reviews for restaurants yep. and like that. Nobody's ever checking references on financial advisors. And when you talk to that other client, ask how many times they've communicated with them. Ask, you know, how many times they've asked them to buy new products whenever they've come to new meetings. Um, Ask all kinds of questions like that, because I think that that'll give you a lot of insight to the game the financial advisor's playing. I have a lot more, but I'll pause there. What do you have to start? What's off the top of your down? No, that's
0: really good. And, you know, I know we have other you know, CFPs, CFAs, financial advisors that listen to the podcast. And that is something I've been thinking of explicitly, especially since the rules have changed from the SEC in terms of what you can put in terms of testimonials on your own website. And you just saying there, I have, you know, the simple type of reviews and stuff that you find on Google or Yelp or whatever. But I think just reaching out to clients and saying like, hey, can I, you know, you know, checking in, blah, blah, blah. If you were to summarize Basket's Capital uh, in just your review of us, what would you say? And then taking all that, processing it myself, and then manually just putting all of those on my website, too, would be pretty, I don't know, impactful, I think. But you're right, the reviews do make a lot of sense, but you have to adhere by the SEC rule, for sure.
1: That's good marketing, I guess, for the RNA side. But for me, it's like, I think that when hiring a financial advisor, it's a lot like hiring an attorney or something like that. I mean, it's really good to have a predefined list of questions that get sent out to clients about other clients so that they can bring back to you. It almost shows that the clients actually like the advisor, right? If they like the advisor enough to answer the questions, that's a good, that's a good starting point. If you don't get any back, they don't give a damn about the guy. And the guy probably
0: yeah. bought them, yeah So, um, yeah, the- that's that's a good point, talking to other clients, yeah, if you have positive reviews of a product or service, you're probably good. I think I've told you this. my wife, Courtney, is uh just yeah. over the top with looking at reviews of whatever, like we had to get a couch, no. yeah, and this couch that we were about to buy. Had 499 positive, and then there was one that was just really negative, negative. and I one negative. 50, but we didn't buy it.
1: Yeah, uh, Yep, There's an asymmetry to it. Yeah, there's uh, actually. An and people can read BS, right? Like you can read BS and know if some of the reviews sound fake or sound good, yeah. or you know, like people. People are smart. Um, they really are if they use their head. So, yeah, man, asking how many clients they have is interesting. I think also when approaching a financial advisor, you should have no pride and you should understand where you sit relative to other people in the world, right? If you sit in front of an advisor and you are make 75000 a year and you have a Roth IRA and two kids and not a lot of extra money to invest, you should not assume that that financial advisor is the top class financial advisor working with multimillionaires. Um, and you should know exactly what to expect right don't don't get hyped up and think oh i'm meeting with a financial advisor that must mean i've made it in life um you know 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 your place and that'll help you read the person in front of you a lot more
0: i think i think that's really fair um and you know valuing different characteristics for things to look for in a financial advisor um First and foremost, when I think of finding that right person, is communication, right? If you are after a specific service and it's an extremely emotional one, like financial planning, retirement planning, you name it, right? You definitely want to have direct access to your guy, ga- to your gal, whoever it is that's serving you, right? And if you, you're not like on a text you know, type of relationship with this person? That's not great, like at all. I have so many clients that on'm just text or email, or it's calling, or you know, it's a combination of everything. And I have this rule where it's like, within 24 hours, even if I'm on vacation or something, I get some sort of communication from a client, I always communicate back. And normally it'll be like, hey, yeah, here's the answer, to your question, or we can do this, or I don't know, we'll address whatever concern they, question or thought that they had. Um, or if it's I'm on vacation, I said, hey, within 24 hours, somebody we'll 20 little answer. Um, but thanks for sending this in, and maybe if you know it's a call related thing, we can talk after you know this date or something. And that's normally fine. But communication is huge, I think, especially in this type of industry um because it is relationship based Yep. there's I'm not going to pretend I'm the best ambassador in the world, even though you and I both know that, but I'm not going to sit here <laughs> you're just shaking your head I'm not going to sit here and pretend
1: nodding yes for the listeners <laughs> <laughs> yeah ah man, no, i'm not and that's, that's, that's another thing is your financial advisor should be willing to say, I don't know if they answer every question, that's a problem. Also, we talked about this. Have you noticed this? Um, there's a pattern in the world where wealthy, successful business owners, wealthy, successful people tend to not spend all of their time talking about what they do for work and how excited they are about their work and and try and drum up networking for their work. Have you noticed this or no?
0: No. Expound on this. What do you mean?
1: Uh, so, I'll, I'll give you the perfect example. A good example, I guess. And this was me as a financial advisor. I, every conversation I had, had to bring up that I was a financial advisor. And that I did XYZ. And that you should sit down and have a conversation with me. We could totally talk about it and see how it yeah. Um, I have also met another person who is in enterprise sales in the oil and gas industry. She is the exact same I was as a financial advisor. First conversation, let me tell you about what I'm doing. Let me tell you how awesome it is. You know anybody in the oil and gas industry? You know, let me let me go do connect. Can I go through your LinkedIn? Can we talk about meeting up with so 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 and so? You know, like like really pushing it, pushing hard.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, she talked with somebody else that I know who runs a very successful. Oil and gas trucking company. When I say very successful, I mean, like, like, they gave $1.5 million to the church as, like, their, their offering. It was just like, yeah, sure, you go. Like They just found
0: that under the couch. Yeah. That's good.
1: Yes. Um, very successful trucking company. I watched them in Iraq, and it was very funny because, you know, his whole thing is, like, his least favorite question for people to ask him is, what do you do for work? He does not like it, hates it. And she kept trying to push him, you know. Oh, you don't want more business? You don't want to do more of this? You know, what are you guys actually doing internally? Yada yada. And he was just like, "I don't want to talk about. Like, I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't want to talk about work." And I've noticed this about several successful people that I've been around. Some of them, you can hang out with them for months and have no idea what they do. You just know that they have a lot of money, something, and it's just like a thing. and and so I think that the only back is, back of that is like there is a group of people like on Twitter or whatever who are successful and they're probably successful only because they go around talking about how successful they are. They're like the people who are like us as a financial advisor or that other girl that just never grow out of it and maybe work it. But all of that to say, I believe that if your financial advisor is super pushy on you and super salesy on you and is asking you all the time to kind of, you know, generate more business and get things moving and is every month trying to hit you up to get things going on something else, something new, uh, that should be a red flag. They probably are not the most successful at their job and they, yeah, they are panicking to get more business and more work. Um, and when you sniff that on them, you should treat it as if you sniff it on any other salesman. It's the exact same thing.
0: Yeah. I think and that's a huge point that goes into the book that i'm quote unquote writing i've committed two pages to this book hell but yeah i have the title for it because i know what it'll be but it's all about how you basically work with people essentially and if you're that guy that hey i do i'm a financial advisor or i'm a realtor and i did this, and i did this last month and you know, here's how I connect with people. Like, maybe we should connect and we could just network and blah, 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 and then explode. You're right. People that are just monstrously successful don't seem to talk about their work at all. Granted, I think it could be because they quote, unquote, made it. Their business doesn't depend on, like, monster amount of referrals or new revenue
1: sources. Or, or them need- being out there selling like crazy right they don't have that hunger they don't have that hunger
0: they don't have that hunger because they're that they're satisfied yeah they're so much more closed off to you know the industrial business which is okay and i totally get that but that does mean yeah the younger people i like when people ask me like hey what do you do for work Courtney's called me out on it i i just say like oh yeah i you know work in finance And it's like, I hate that question so much. I I hate it. I I don't want to talk about it. Like, I'm like, I okay, this is going to sound bad. If I'm talking to someone who's early 20s or whatever, and they'll ask me, my instinctive thought isn't like, oh, let me paint the full picture of what a fantastic investing service I have, and maybe I can bring them in. Or even if it's like, yeah, somebody in their 50s that would be an ideal client, still don't even say anything like that. But Corny's like, hey, we're out with people. Just be honest and say, like, you run an investment firm. And I say, okay, fine. And then I say that. And then it kind of turns into, like, they get big eyes. And they're like, oh, you're probably managing billions of dollars. And I'm like, no. <laughs>
1: not billions. Not yet. But that's why. Like... <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, like, there's what a- do you- <laughs> like, dude, that is a. So that is something that we were taught to weaponize, that question, whenever we were younger. Uh, yeah. And and I have trauma with it, dude. Megan calls me out on that as well. I have, like, an identity crisis with it where I, like, yeah, I, I will not answer people straight up. I'll tell them I deliver pizza before I tell them I'm in finance.
0: Dude, it's a good profession. Yeah. You get gets me a lot of people. Yeah. We can network and trade pizza. That's for sure.
1: Come on, man. It'll be great. So it it really is a problem.
0: All right. So to wrap this question up, because you said something I really want to hit on. You definitely don't want a financial advisor who says they know everything or says, like, here's the answer to whatever you ask. But you do want the guy that says, I don't know. But more than that, I'm going to add to it. They should say, I don't know but I'm going to find out and get right back to
1: you. I'll figure it out.
0: You're you looking for somebody or some, you know, whatever, that can give you additional help and service to whatever you're asking.
1: That can read the language and find the answers for you so you don't have yeah. to find
0: Because you yourself, if you're looking for a financial advisor, probably don't study 10Ks like we do, probably don't look at the market, and additionally, don't have... You know, background or experience just generating or experimenting with thousands of different portfolios. And that's totally fine. Right. It's its own thing. But when you ask someone a question of like, Hey, like, how do I know when I'm ready to retire? Like one of the biggest popular questions of all time in financial planning or retirement planning, you should have somebody who walks you through that, who gives you a very detailed, illustrated response. And hopefully it's not, you know, a cookie cutter thing, but it is more catered and unique to your own situation and scenario. But you do need somebody like that. And that's my biggest thing. And that's why I'm like, I can't take on thousands of clients because there's no way I can handle, you know, XYZ with every single client. And that's okay. But that's, that's what I would say there.
1: There is a fine line. I, I think you're exactly right. I think Something that's very important that people should take note of is not one time in this conversation have we said you need somebody with letters behind their name who has a lot of, who has a lot of pedigree academically. Um, I think that there's two things to this element of financial advising that are important to know. One is it is practical. It is not theoretical. 90% of the things that you learn when taking tests or doing things in theory do not matter whenever you apply them to the real world. Um, Two is, or well, I guess this kind of feeds into the same thing. It's, it's this, this concept of figuring things out is important. The concept of not pretending that you know everything is important. Um, it is a game of expertise in language and understanding, not a game of expertise in mathematics or complex modeling or anything like that. The game of financial advising is actually very easy. I think that it's actually a very easy game. It is very, very easy. But if you do not have time to sit down and learn the language of it, you need to hire somebody else to read. Read the language, get the answers. And I think that is what you're paying for. And so if you look at somebody who tries to overcomplicate it or make you feel stupid or justify their job because they have three letters and they feel like they're really smart and they know more and have more math. You're probably working with the wrong person. Somebody should be able to look at you and say, this game's easy. I understand you don't have time to deal with it. You're paying me to deal with it for you. That's it.
0: There's the follow-up question. And to the point that I made earlier, because there's a lot of famous people, famous quote unquote on Twitter, right? They're financial advisors, CFP, CFAs, whoever, that say, yeah, I'm great at communication. I'm great at answering questions relating to clients. I never look at the stock market. I don't check it daily. I'm not wrapped up in the emotions of the ups and downs. And I get that. But when the first part of that, you never check the stock market. How does that make you?
1: As a client?
0: Sure. As a client and then also as someone who works in the industry. And I know you do check the stock market.
1: It really is a, uh, it really is just like an investment preference. But I mean, if you are, I think that if you are the type of advisor who is simply trying to prepare people for retirement and you are just indexing, I have no idea why you would check the uh, index. I mean, I guess you could look at it every day, but like, I, I guess it depends on how in-depth. I do not believe that there's a financial advisor out there who does not see or not the S&P 500 is up or down in a day. Maybe there is. That would be wild to me. Uh, what? If there is a, somebody that does not know Any any given day, if the S and P five hundred is up or down, right? Has not looked at what the S and P five hundred was doing that day. That would surprise me. So I guess it means like what you mean by how, what you mean by looking at the market, um, but I don't know that that also doesn't affect me as much. Um, I think it almost ties into the like they're admitting that it's not that hard of a game, and I don't think it's that hard of a game. It's all about do you know the language and do you have time to learn the language? And 98% of people in the world do not have the time because they're doing some other job. So I just think they need somebody to know the language. Um, Whether that person's checking stocks or not every day, I guess it's just kind of their investment thesis, right? Yeah. That kind of goes back to, they're just buying SPY monthly at the fixed time every month, you know, dollar cost. Then it's like, yeah, they don't really have to, they can go do whatever they want to do. They better not be taking a lot of money for it, but they can go do whatever they want to do, right? I think that's yes. just how much you charge. And,
0: and to that point, and this might lose me a ton of business. If that's you, for the love of God, as a client, if that's you, for the love of God, don't go hire me or a financial. No,
1: advisor. no, do that. Do it yourself. Do it do yourself. It. That. But that's they make it too hard. They make it feel too hard it's yeah but here's
0: here's what i'm going to do you am going to create an entire course for free and it's just going to be like hey do you like do you just want to passively invest in the index don't hire a financial advisor this is what you do yep that would be probably one of the best marketing
1: stunts of all time like i already do, do that for people it's interesting that i haven't i've thought about like i guess writing something up but I have people in my family that come in and they're like, hey, you know, can you do investments for me? And it's like, oh, what do you have? And they're like, oh, you know, like $20,000. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just show you how to open up a Charles Schwab account. And then we just, let's just go there. Like, let's just do that. Sure, yeah. Like, that's, yes. Those That's something that people should be doing. Do not hire an advisor for that. You're exactly right. But
0: people no. do. No, and I think as a marketing stud, This would be, and I'm saying it on the podcast as you go out there everywhere, everyone will know this. It's going to be one of the most reverse psychology things of all time. If you are this person, if you are this type of client, and you just want dollar cost averaging DCA, INSEP, SPY, or INDEX, here's exactly how you set that up. Here's how you would probably want to do that. And I have, the reason I'm saying this, these are some of the most opinionated people of all time are those that are just like, you don't need a financial advisor, you just use Vanguard and ETFs. And I'm like, totally right. If you are that type of investor, 100%. Like the same way I could be the kind of guy that, you know, wants to fix everything on my own car. Because I can. And I could watch YouTube videos, I could figure it out, and it's fun. And you could totally do that. Or you could be the guy that takes it into the mechanic, whatever. But these people that are like, you, you just index. Just throw it into VOO, VTI, you know, all of the Vanguard indexes or ETFs. Perfect. Great. I think if you and I actually put something out there that was like, hey, great. Glad you're that type of investor.
1: Here's how you do it. You don't need- I don't even think it's a that type of investor. It would be great. We should do that. Absolutely. I don't think it's. This goes back to my original comment of like, if you're the person making 75000 a year, you have a Roth IRA, you have two kids, whatever. You know, you don't have any extra expendable income. Yeah. That's what you should be doing, right? It's not even if you're that type of investor, like do it yourself. It's like, you can't afford. You, this, is a, this is a business that is meant for wealthy people. And it is meant for wealthy people who have a lot of financial investment options and do not have somebody to, to read the language for them. If you are under that, I mean, there should almost be a level where it's like, if you, if you don't have this much to invest on a monthly basis or this much in an account already, just do this. That really is the truth. Like just do this, get your feet under you whenever you are making more and doing more. So two, to two points to
0: that. First, there are people and one of them, I have a really great friend and he's a phenomenal friend and says nothing bad about me, but he hates financial advisors and he is. Stupid wealthy and all he wants to do and does it is just dollar cost average into BOO and I am totally okay with that and that's his opinion and his approach he is that investor and that's great but there's a ton of out people that are just like I'm wealthy I'm smart so I don't need somebody like you know advise. same thing as like you don't want an attorney because you can pick- <laughs> so it's fair right but um, those people exist. It's not just the, Hey, they want a dollar cost average and they're only making 75,000 K per year or something, you know? So, so like, you're going to
1: have a ton of different people. Kind of I think, that, I think, mean, it's, I think that puts financial advisors in a box though, Connor, where, and that's what they've done. And that's where the marketing is bad and where the marketing message needs to change is a financial advisor is not just somebody that invests public accounts for you. Yeah. You're not. And they really shouldn't even be paid like that. I understand that's how they're paid and that's why they've angled themselves that way because they can make more money that way by just getting an AUM on public accounts. A financial advisor should be similar to an attorney for complex matters, right? I will not hire an attorney to draft MDMs. That is the equivalent of hiring a financial advisor to invest in in ETFs for me. I'll hire an attorney to do M&A acquisition deals for me though, because that is stuff that I just don't have. And you should be hiring a financial advisor to look into private investments to follow up on private investments to manage your private investments just like public
0: okay okay in an extension this is my second point to that yes if it's a very specific thing on what the financial advisor is doing i.e the biggest question that everyone has is how do i plan for retirement right your advisor actually puts in the effort creates an actual report and everything for you as a retirement plan and then walks you through it. Granted, they could totally be just investing in Vanguard ETF, but they have a plan that they just like, here you go, and I'll walk you through it. And I will admit to this, I have clients where I just, I do that for them. I don't charge them for a report for the spreadsheet for the, hey, here's how we distribute your account and here's everything kind of there because my fees are just, off of AUM, and that's fun, and, but you're right, like, that is a very specific thing that advisors can do, just on a basis of, hey, create a retirement plan, where I know I'm this age, I can retire, I can have this much, here's what a distribution schedule looks like, all of that, and that's for people that are making $75,000, and they're 48 years old, they have two kids, and they're, they're
1: like that thing. But you shouldn't be paying them AUM for that thing. You should pay them five hundred bucks, and it's worth it. Um, yeah, and but that's hard for people. Those, that's
0: what's that's what's tricky, is like they have seventy five k. They probably don't have, you know, that much per month. They've got two kids. They're planning for
1: college. Per like much. Oh no way! No, I meant five hundred dollars for a plan. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. No way. Because the whole thing is, is escaping, right? If all you're doing is indexing, and that's all you need, right? You don't have enough capital to be doing bigger swings on bigger investments, blah, blah, blah. And you just need to be indexing. You should not be paying AUM fees to just, to just straight up index, to just straight up SPY, VOO, whatever, VTI. Um You should just have that yourself, and you should pay an advisor $500 to tell you where to get to, and then whenever you get to a certain point, open up account with that advisor that actually is for big moves. Okay.
0: Okay. Or, and hear me out, if it's this $500 example, is that annually or, say so it's not monthly, right?
1: Um, no, definitely not monthly. It could be annually to do a new report, an updated report every year. It's five hundred dollars for the report. Five hundred dollars for the plan report. That's it. So you do that every year with them to update and change it? Yeah,
0: maybe. Um Okay. Versus let's say it's the person making seventy five K, they're forty eight, they've got two kids, they have a hundred thousand in their IRA, four hundred one K, whatever, savings that the advisor can manage that advisor like me just has a one percent fee that's a thousand dollars per year right so that's twice as much as 500 but this advisor could do the same exact thing as different etfs indexing but also generate a report now the reason i'm bringing this up is it's just in the psychology of the client where it's like Hey, you can give me your account. Here's how much I would charge out of the account, and it's just kind of it makes sense. Blah blah blah. Versus, hey, here's your account. Also, write me a check or send me this money of five hundred dollars. I don't know anyone that is making less than a hundred or you know that seventy five k amount that would just be like, why do I need to? Why do I need to give you five hundred bucks right now? You know.
1: I don't think I'm following so much. The idea is not to manage the money at all. You can show them, hey, you'd be paying me $1,000 for a year to manage this, or you just pay me 500 bucks for the plan, and I show you how to do it, and then you just go set it up to DCA. Uh, yeah. Okay. And, then, and then, like, hey, after you've exceeded X amount, you've reached a point where we probably need to do some more variable investments. And honestly, I mean, I would be super surprised. I don't see a lot of 75-year-olds with two kids that are young, all that stuff with 100,000 in an IRA ready to move. It's usually like 25,000 um, in in most instances. And so it's like you know, it's it's not even worth it for the advisor to, to
0: deal with. There yeah. It, okay. I I I have seen That's why I'm bringing it up, right? I I have seen clients that are, you know, at that range. Oh, yeah, they're 48, and they easily have six figures, say, by that time frame, right? They've been working for 26 years, right? And if they've been saving, investing, even on a low, um, below average level, they'll have 100K. Yep. Right. After 26 years. But um, it's just more in terms of what would the client want to spend where they care about it's a thousand dollars but it's out of my account and I don't have to like you know pay out of my bank account right now or is it I have to pay 500 bucks and he'll like set him set everything up kind of deal that's where I think it, it depends you talk to your clients you can understand where they're coming from I think that's that easily plays a part but I think if you and I just to go back to this idea, just created an entire online free course of, hey, you're the type of investor that just wants to index, invest, and here's how you want to invest, and this is blah, blah, blah. All these little criteria points are you. Great, don't hire me. Don't hire any financial advisor. Read everything here, watch these videos. Here's how you invest yourself. And I think that would explode. That would actually be super popular. And people would watch it. And then they would say, like, here's what it kind of does. They would say, oh, that's not too much work. And that's about 80%. And 20% would be like, they're like me with a car. They're like, that's how you change the oil? Yep. Mm, I'll just give it to this guy. This guy can do it, right? And yeah. then he'll create a custom portfolio. That's fine with me.
1: That is really good work. That is okay. We beat you out on the death. Should we go to the next question? What else we got? We beat that one to death. We got
0: a short time frame here, about less than twenty minutes. Um, love that we beat that one. But I like this other question. Uh, what is the future of AI and in investing? And we've talked about this numerous times over the podcast on how we're just killing it versus gpt I'll give you the current uh, status of humans versus T B T in one second as I pull it up. So market is open and live, so I'll give you actual data. Think, you go oh, and man. answer that question. Have they tweeted today? I imagine they probably have. No, 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 no. They, they never tweet. I have their notifications turned on, totally just ready to kill it with them, but they never tweet. So what do you think is the future of AI and in investing?
1: I think we are very, 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 very far off from people being able to trust an AI bot to invest for them. Um, I would like to give a terrible shout-out to otter.ai. I don't know if you know about otter to automatically join meetings on your calendar. Yeah. Uh, I picked up on them. I think you've probably told me about them in the past, but I picked up on them with uh, my VC client. We did a... Um, large meeting with a group of people on zoom and 80 percent of the joined people were otters right they weren't people they were just people's ais so i was like okay this is interesting that this many people are using this now i should go i'm sure. gonna see what it's about yeah i went and downloaded it, and had to join another meeting that was on my calendar that i had no plans on going to the notes were awful absolutely the worst things i've seen like it made me i looked at that and i said ai is so far off from taking my job there's there's no problem um i think that the hype of the hype of ai as a as a strong originator of information rather than just a general facilitator of information um is going to die very very quickly um it will probably give you general ideas about investing and the way investing works, and it's a good way to educate you. But I think AI, as far as it enters the investment space moving forward, nothing more than a research tool. And probably one that can't be trusted very much at that, at least for the beginning. Um, here's a good example. Finchat.io. Shout out to Finchat.io. I do like Finchat.io. They're, they got some decent stuff. Um, yeah. So I assume you maybe saw my TikTok videos on the NVIDIA Monopoly. I did
0: three-part series for everyone interested. Very good data. I can't believe that Brayden is not at 100,000 followers. Go follow him right now.
1: Get there one day. Uh, by the way, it, it, TikTok keeps, um, keeps blackballing my ESG content. Every time I make something bashing ESG investing, uh, TikTok TikTok gives me like zero views. I got 20 views on my last video uh, saying ESG investing is, is a scam. Um, Shout out to that. We'll cover that. The
0: algorithm. Gotcha.
1: the algorithm hates it, dude. The algorithm actually hates it, which is funny. Yeah. Which uh, it's also AI, so it does play a part in your investing. To keep it up. There you go. So FinChat.io, I went and asked it, hey, can you explain to me NVIDIA's monopoly and how they plan to sustain it and how they got it? And it just gave me a bunch of crap that was so generic. That was like, NVIDIA makes GPUs. And GPUs, they're used in video games and more recently, AI. NVIDIA sells a lot of GPUs for the AI space. That's what it said. And I was like, okay. So if you want to have unique original information, you still have to go do research and figure out what's going on. AI will, is nowhere near giving you the information that you need that, at a high enough level to get an edge. That's my idea of AI and investing. I bet we're 50 years
0: off. We are off, and I think you're off in your years of when we'll get there. It will not be 50. There is so much money and time being poured in that I love your example of the Otter AI note-taking tool. It really does. Okay. I've used that. I've used grain, and I've used fireflies, and fireflies is, I don't know if it's the more expensive one, but it is the one that's perfect. Yeah. It is so much, it's not perfect. Sorry. It's just better. So there's easier ways that it just adds in, and you can integrate it into notes and things like that. But um, AI has a ways to go.
1: Isn't it funny? Can we pause there for a minute? Isn't it funny how the better product is not the one that everybody was using on that call? It was 100% Otter AI people. It is just insane how distribution matters, and a bad product can get distributed.
0: So you, well, yeah, it's yeah, distribution matters, and obviously. That's when people are building companies like, hey, what matters? Is it, you know, creating the best product out there or is it our freaking marketing and getting the old stuff? Yeah. If you have more people using your product, then you are going to most likely have more people stick with that product if you can just improve it consistently. So just work on marketing and sales at the beginning. That's, that's just my two cents on that for AI and investing the humans ID, what well, we've created since May 16th of 2023. Well, actually, look, let me start with S&P 500. The S&P 500 since May 16th is up 4.91%. The Chat GPT AI, I think is up 4%. Maybe 4.1%. So 0.8 less. In, I don't know, 20 days. 20 market trading days. The humans, any, any guesses before I actually say the that? number? Six? That's a really good guess. That would be so impressive if the humans actually got 6% over the last 20 trading days. But the humans only got to 6.4%. And 20 trading days with slightly, you know, good cash position to keep pushing some money or, you know, dollars into the market. Yeah. So I'm not here to say that AI can't out-invest humans because it simply cannot. But over the 20 straight market trading days, it has been very, you know, fortuitous for certain investors like the humans, and definitely not weeks of red, red, red everywhere. So That has played a part, but it is concerning if ChatGPT, this so-called or AI so-called sentiment score of, hey, what stocks should we invest in, and this will be super effective, and we'll find the ones that are going to do really well, in the weeks that the market has absolutely exploded upwards, is trailing everybody. That's not good. No, not at all. If, let's say, it was flat, and the market S&P went down 3% over the last three or four weeks, that's extremely good. But we just, we don't have that data yet. So, as of right now, when the market is going up and up and up, it does not look like it's playing out very well. But, what I think it will be used for is the same way computers became useful i equate ai to computers so what were computer used for in wall street in the 70s basically nothing and then the 80s happened and there was a little bit more and then pushed to have everyone have their own single computer and then that took off and then it just kept escalating over and over and over again to help them with all the simple tasks with they didn't have to write down single trades and then push it into a mailbox slot machine and have that be sent up and blah, blah, blah. I think AI is going be very similar to just handle or be more efficient with tons of different tasks in investing. Hey, I want to analyze these stocks. I want to, you know, write down a portfolio. You get all this data. I think within the next five to 10 years, there's going to be something that everyone uses. Or maybe it's just more of an enterprise product and it's like, here's what all the huge institutional investors use. That's where I think AI does. It will not be able to be a stock picker. It's just going to be, just like your computer you can't pick stocks. Yep. It's just going to be something that helps you do everything. Here,
1: that you need. a faster computer. That's what it'll be. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, I really think, too, I've seen a lot about hitting the limits of, the physical limits of what can train, right? Um, Moore's Law, exponential growth doesn't necessarily apply here because memory is, is the biggest key issue, the bandwidth of memory that can move. It's going to be hard to make any kind of AI that's more efficient than than what it is today. Um, yeah. The real challenge. It's a real, real challenge.
0: But, here's my biggest prediction for AI, and if I were to start any company in AI it would be to have the AI that becomes the assistant to everything so there's already and I love this because the, the concept is there so it's validated you already have Siri you already have whatever Google Android or types of Alexa on Amazon devices right that are voice recognition. And you could say, hey, play this song, or hey, do this. And it will do it. What I see AI doing is that times a billion. And I could say, hey, AI bot, or whatever the name ends up being. I need you to go through my emails on this Gmail account. I need you to find the ones that are highly prioritized based off the data that you already have. And then I need you to read out the ones from these potential clients. And it'll just give you all that data. Technically, Siri and others can kind of do that. But what you then can say is like, great. Send a reply that basically says, hey, I can't do Friday for a meeting next time. Why don't we push it to Tuesday the 16th? And then I'll follow up with him and get back to you on that finance report. So they, they can send all of that.
1: So I think, I think parties- you got, that's where we'll get to. It will be a generalized form of Siri. Right, Siri can do stuff like that, but you have to program it and set it up, and it's very hard. Rule. There will be a much more general type of Siri where it's like you can you download program anything. You it can is- download a brand new yeah. You can download a brand new app on your phone that you execute things through, and it'll know how to do it just because it knows how to work apps. Right. Knows,
0: yeah, if you can give a fifty-five-year-old the ability to just like get anything done, that is the next trillion-dollar company, and that's what I think this could be. So, like in investing, it could be like, hey. Um, I need you to email myself a spreadsheet of Apple's 10Ks for the last five years. I need you to get operating margin, I need you to get net revenue, I need you to get forecasting, EPS, all this data, and then put it into a spreadsheet, and then, you know, or even just, like, upload a Google Sheet, right? And it'll just, it'll knock it out. And it's done. And there's freaking an hour of your time getting back to you, and a minute or a couple of minutes i do
1: that's where it goes i think that's its only first thing so far but you're exactly
0: yeah but you, you take the assistant thing even further like this is why this idea thing is a monster like hey i want to go to this vacation place i want to go to miami uh on you know these dates find me the best place find me the best airbnb or hotel i want to stay in this price range like send me the options and then i'll just go through it and like the ai just does it like it's just everywhere that's what i think AI will become
1: and that's huge i think you're right i think that's exactly what it'll become um i don't know if anybody will get paid for that or how it'll work but that's exactly right and you can you can say hey you know, while I'm on vacation, make sure you send people emails back, letting them all me on vacation. Make sure you join this meeting, this meeting, this meeting. Take notes so that I can review them whenever I get back. You know, you can have a really long list of, of demands and things to do. And it'll do it. I think that is exactly where it goes. But I don't think it ever goes to, hey, I need a portfolio of 500000 Invest it for me. Tell them, you know, go do, you know, free reign. Go invest what you want to invest in. And it does it successfully. I don't think it will happen.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, you're you're kind of, you're playing with it in a way where if you want that type of company, you have to build that LL, that language model yourself. And that's just too hard. So I think OpenAI can get there. Or if you're smart, you build it on that, or Google's, and then you basically say, hey, I built all of this. The code and everything else is my own, and like that's great. <laughs> you should definitely have this for all of your products. Like Google or Microsoft will have that come out, and they're trying to. Like they have basically
1: the assistant, the assistant idea. Yeah,
0: no, the assistant idea is great. It's just it's not there yet. Within the next five years, it will be Either. where I can just look at my phone and I can say like, "Hey, uh, answer all the email concerning my clients." Like, respond back with whatever
1: I would want to say. Apple is going to be the first one to do it. I guarantee. Apple or AMO. They're the silent killers, dude. All the other ones do this stuff out in the open and do it all, like, you know, like, iterate and, and are very exposure about it. Apple, Apple's not playing around, dude. They'll just, they'll just come out and drop it on you, and it'll be the most pristine product, and you'll just be like, oh, my God, where would that come from?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's how they play the game. Right with their says they kinda did that. They just kinda popped out and was like, What's up with it? Here you go.
0: you big time, man. But that's the end of the pod. Appreciate everybody listening. Hopefully you got something out of the Q and A's. And we'll talk to you next week.